All right, let's turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we'll open with prayer. And I'm going to ask Pastor Crawford to open us with prayer. And brother, um, today is the anniversary. Well, actually, today is Jenny's birthday. And um, if you could please remember Pastor Dietrich and the family in prayer, especially for them. Um, but yeah, if you'd open us with prayer, please. Thank you. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we are in verses 14 through 15, and we're looking at, in your outline, instructions concerning the disobedient, uh, actions toward the disobedient, and uh, the attitude that we should have. I'll actually be just kind of weaving back and forth between those two thoughts this morning and throughout the lesson. But... Um, this is something that I didn't really want to just blow through quickly, and I wanted to take time and deal with it biblically. It, it is a sensitive subject. It can be one of controversy, and I want us to understand uh, from the scriptures why sometimes it is necessary to be warned and to warn others, and uh, in some cases, as we'll see, to separate from those who will not be warned and will not do right from the scriptures. Not a popular message you hear today. As the fear of God becomes less important, the practice of biblical separation and church discipline, and even just admonishing one another uh, in private, one-on-one, -on -one, uh, is becoming less and less frequent. And then, of course, you have the opposite end. You have the, those folks who strive on telling people what's up, you know, and I'm going to fix you, and I'm going to straighten you, and I'm going to... Uh, if you don't cross all your T's and dot your I's the way I would, I'm going to rip you up one side and down the other. And of course, the worst uh, example of that would be someone who uses the pulpit as a, as a leverage point, uh, a vantage point from which to attack people. And that is cowardly and ungodly and ought never take place. And so I want to make sure that we're dealing with this appropriately. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14, And if any man obey not our word, by this epistle. So there's the foundation, there's the standard. You and I are not obeying the Bible. We're not obeying a command, a principle, something that's been told us to do in the Christian life. Note that man. Don't blow over him. Don't just push him off. Don't pretend he doesn't exist. Don't let him be the elephant in the room. Yeah, we know he's there. We just don't talk about that. That's the deacon and uh, that's the pastor or that's brother so-and-so and they've been here a long time or we don't want to say anything to her she's the wife of so-and-so and they give a lot of money to the church uh, those things happen all the time note that man and have no company with him why that he may be ashamed yet count him not as an enemy because it would be easy to do that particularly in this context where the context is dealing with the sin of freeloading who likes a freeloader anybody here enjoy being used oh uh, no you work hard for your money right and um when you give it away, it's kind of nice uh, to be thanked, though it's not required. We should be willing to do what's right, regardless of whether we're thanked. But you know what? Thank you is, is always very refreshing, right? Gives you that little boost to keep going. But a freeloader, they just take, they grab, they give nothing in return. They have no intention of it. So it would be easy to count a person like that as an enemy. 
But Paul says, admonish him as a brother. You see, if I don't take biblical steps to deal with sin in someone's life or in a church setting, what's going to happen is we end up just going to becoming bitter and angry toward that person, shunning them, and then nobody is helped. And in the end, the church is just torn apart because everybody's all bent out of shape and angry about this thing that's not being dealt with. And we really want to say something, brother or sister so-and-so, but we don't because of whatever reason, whatever excuse. And over time, there's bitterness sets in and anger sets in and nobody's helped and nobody's healed and the problem may just spread and the whole thing become worse. So here's all these principles. Let's look first of all at action toward the disobedient. And this is probably all the further we'll get this morning. But uh, in my outline, I've, I've made an outline of my own underneath that. And uh, I've put there, there is a need to warn. There is a need to warn. In verse 15, it says, but admonish him. This is the Greek word nutheteo, which is found throughout the New Testament in numerous uh, places. And it means just that, to warn, to admonish, to um, sit down and tell someone, look, I'm appealing to you. This is a problem. This needs to be fixed. Modern counseling will often leave out this important aspect of warning. Uh, a lot of Christian counselors will focus more on the, well, you need to love yourself more. We need to bolster your self-esteem. That's going to help fix the problem. Uh, you need to dump your negative friends and hang out with your positive ones. But a lot of life coaches, a lot of life coaches, right? Uh, we don't need another life coach. There's plenty of them. And they all usually, I don't say all of them, I don't know all of them, but many of them have that one thing in common. Jesus loves you and it's going to be all right. God's going to wrap his arms around you. And there's no warning. There's no, well, you know, you're here because you're, uh, you're living in immorality. You're here because you're breaking the principles of what God intended for the home and for you as a, as a man and you as a woman or whatever the case may be. And nobody's really dealing with the warning aspect it drives people away and folks will just then take their business and find uh, the advice that they're looking for somewhere else and so it doesn't make money I understand why it happens but it's not right okay so newthetic counseling that's a term it's not I didn't coin it um, one of my Bible teachers coined it uh, and he said this is uh, something I practice he was a pastor who did counseling on the side and he said I do newthetic counseling I I counsel folks but I insert warnings where I have to from the scriptures and I call them alongside to obey and to listen and so let's look at some places where we find this word warning, this uh, Greek word nutheteo, nuthetia would be to warn, would be a, a, ver, or a, a noun meaning uh, a warning or an admonition. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 31. You and I need to warn in humility and in love. Acts chapter 20, verse 31. I love Paul's example here as he speaks to uh, the Ephesian church. And he tells them in verse 31 of Acts chapter 20, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn, there's our word, everyone night and day, but yet how did he do it? With tears. There's an attitude of humility. And when you have a church or a ministry or a pastor or a Bible college, numerous of which shall remain unnamed this morning, and they warn folks, but they do it in a haughty, arrogant spirit. And they're the Holy Spirit in everybody's lives. And they're just rude and they're nasty. That's totally missing the heart of what Paul did here to the Ephesian church. Look over to the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 
1 Corinthians, of course, the Corinthian church being a, a fairly carnal church, uh, three letters being written to them, we only have two. Obviously, the third one was not inspired and therefore was not preserved, but they received three letters. And uh, if the church, and I have to take some of these things with a grain of salt, but if the writings of the church fathers, <laughs> and I say that with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, can be taken uh, seriously, then eventually this church fell into even deeper sin than what we read here and uh, went off the deep end. But nobody knows that for sure. That's just based on some very sketchy historical writings. But 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, look at this admonition here. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I nuthateo, I warn you. And boy, he said some hard things in 1 Corinthians, did he not? Some very hard things that if most people said from the pulpit or said one-on-one, -on -one, they would be instantly ousted. But he said, I'm not saying these things to shame you. You may be ashamed, and that's the end goal, so that you get right with God, but that's not the purpose that puts you down as my beloved sons, I warn you. And so what a crucial thing to be done in humility and to be done in love. Uh, involve only necessary people. Right? There's a need to warn in humility and love and also a need to warn with only the necessary people involved. Look at Matthew chapter 18. No one likes to be embarrassed. Right? How many times has someone ever said something to you that was true, but they said it in a wrong context and just totally embarrassed you and you weren't really helped in the long run? Now, by God's grace, no matter how someone warns us, even if it's wrong, we ought to be able to benefit if we're truly spiritually mature. That's one mark of a mature Christian versus an immature one. Uh, if not everything is just right in an immature Christian's life, they fly off the handle and go off the other way. A mature Christian learns to take even the bad things that are said and count that as a blessing and perhaps a warning from God. I had some negative things said to me. Uh, I had a guy in the Navy chew me up one side and down the other in a completely wrong way. And I walked away from that saying, yep, he is 110% and I had to go apologize to him. And I didn't say, look, you said this to me, you ought not said it that way. I, I wanted to say that, but I didn't because I couldn't argue with him. He was right. Matthew chapter 18, look at verse uh, 15, if you would. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, the words of our Savior here, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Well, I'm just going to pick on Austin here. Austin said something to me when we were over at their house the other night. I'm pastor know what Austin thinks I saw Charlie did you know what I saw at Austin's house and we just go back and forth this is how we in the flesh want to handle things right because that's a lot easier than me going to Austin and and having a very awkward conversation about something or vice versa he comes over and he sees something in my house or I say something to him he runs with Travis did you know or Matthew did you know and and before you know it there's this this gossip fest going on and there's division and there's chaos so God says you go to the person and you know what? If we really can't go to somebody in a good conscience, then we ought to just keep our mouth shut because maybe there really wasn't an offense. Maybe we're just being too sensitive or self-righteous. That's a possibility. But if there was actually an offense, then this is the way to handle it. Uh, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. End of story. I said something to Austin that offended him. Austin told me about it. We got it right between each other, and nobody else in the church knew about it or ever needs to know about it. And that's it. It ends right there. But what happens if it doesn't? And there have been times, and I've been involved in some times, and I know you have as well, and I'll give some examples from the pulpit, but um, what if that doesn't work? 
Well, then the uncomfortable part really starts to set in. And the uncomfortable factor only ramps up from here. And honestly, in my brief experience on this earth, this is where the church and its responsibilities really start to break down when you have to start taking it up the chain of command. Because when you have to start taking things up the chain of command, let's say Austin is offended by something I did and I did something wrong and I won't listen to him. Well, then the next step for him is to take two or three witnesses, right? One or two more. Then in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. What does Austin need from the church in order for this to happen the way it's supposed to? Support. Christian, Christ-filled backup. Not, oh, I don't know, Austin, that's awfully, I don't think I want to get involved in that. Yeah, but you heard him. Yeah, but just, just let it go, man. Just let it go. Just let it go. He needs support or this isn't going to work. Okay? So, you know, that kind of brings us full circle. If we're, in a, if we're in a church and something like this comes up and we can't get any backup, well, maybe we're in the wrong place. Been there, done that. Okay, and then maybe you have too. And it's time to just, don't make a scene, but just be like, okay, two cannot walk together except they be agreed. Maybe I need to just check out and go somewhere where I'm actually in agreement with some folks on things. So Austin needs support in order for this to happen. Now here's where it gets really ugly. And if you shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. This is where corporately we have to be of one mind and of one spirit. This is why this is so important. If my goal and yours are not ultimately to honor Christ, no matter how uncomfortable it makes me, this will be a total disaster. This is how church splits take place. And you know, I'm, I want to be careful how I say this, but church splits are not necessarily always a bad thing. Because if you're not doing right, it's time to do something else. But anyway, um, I don't want to get into a quagmire with all that. But if he shall neglect you, tell it to the church. So we as a body of believers have to be of one mind and one spirit and see the importance of not letting sin continue. And as we work our way up through this uncomfortable process, more and more people are becoming involved to be able to determine whether or not there was a biblical offense, right? So we all need to be walking in the spirit, knowing what the Bible says, knowing what we should and shouldn't be doing as Christians in order to back each other up to say, yep, we have a genuine case here, or no, you're being silly, there's nothing wrong with that, you're just, this is personal preference, you need to get over yourself. This is where we can back each other up and check each other to see, yep, this is valid, or no, it's not valid. But this is where it gets very uncomfortable for many people. Um, especially, I'll give one example, I had a friend who, now he didn't handle it right, I'm going to say that right now. There, was, uh, there were some ladies in the church dressing well, according to him, and, and I wasn't there, so I have to be really careful with this. But he says very badly, but he also had some crazy whacked out standards when it came to women and how they should dress. So, but if what he said was true based on what they were wearing, I would say, yeah, that's not good, especially as deacons' wives, and they were setting the example. And so he went to the deacons, and he said, this is going on, and they said, well, you can pack sand and go away. And so he went to the pastor, and he went to the pastor again, and then he went to the pastor again. And eventually the pastor, if his testimony can be trusted, said this to him. Uh, Brother, you need to just back off, because those deacons have been in my church for 20 years, and there's no way I'm losing them. So that right there tells me that that man has no interest ultimately in glorifying God. Oh, he's willing to do it as long as it doesn't cost him a certain amount of something but he does have his price and his price is I will not lose 
certain people. That violates what we read right here because what's the next step if the person will not listen to the church? So we bring this before the church, brother so-and-so, and it's to be done in humility. It's to be done with in tears, an attitude of tears and restoration. We want this person to be healed and we'll look at that in depth. But if it comes to the church and it is not dealt with, then let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. What does that mean? It means you separate yourself from the person. And to be quite honest, and I'm sure Pastor and others could confirm this, uh, they will probably separate themselves from you before you ever get to this point. They'll be so angry. If they're really not interested in repenting of whatever the sin is and getting it right, they will probably just yell at you and scream at you and, and, and bolt, and that will be the end of it. But it should still be brought to the church's attention that this is going on, and this is a sad thing, and this has happened, and we're having to withdraw and so there's the process. I didn't make it up. Jesus did. And so um, involve only necessary people. Sometimes it's a public rebuke. You say, well, when would that ever happen? Well, if there's a public offense. Um, anyone who stands behind this pulpit has an awesome job of responsibility. So let's say I stand up here and I say something really stupid. And, uh, you know, let's say I say something about, well, I don't know, just pick anything. You know, I step all over some doctrine. And it's so obvious that you all know, well, that can't be right. Well, then I should make a public apology, right? Uh, because it was a public offense, and I've led people astray. Turn to Galatians chapter 2. We see an example of this in Galatians chapter 2. <clears throat> there was, um, Peter had been led astray in some things, particularly mixing the works of the law with the grace of Christ. He'd been influenced by Judaizers. It's easy. It's easy to happen. You know, we get into a group of people we respect and we want to be liked, we want to be accepted. Pretty soon we're saying something very stupid and unbiblical. And, uh, you know, it can, it can happen. But here's poor Peter. Look at verse uh, 11. Paul says, When Peter was come to Antioch, the main church there from which Paul was sent out, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Now he's writing this to the Galatians. So he's, he's recalling to them, hey, um, this happened. And I'm going to share this with you. It was a public offense. For before that certain came from James, some, some Judaizers had come up from the church in Jerusalem there where James was uh, probably the main pastor. He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation, which is the idea of insincerity and and doing things uh, not according to truth in an insincere manner. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly, according to my personal preferences, no, according to the truth of the gospel. So we had some clear Bible principles with which to approach these people. There have been times that I've been offended, just kept my mouth shut because I was like, what did they violate? I just don't really like the way they did that. Okay, that's not really the reason. You know, there's times to just shut up. But there are times when we, okay, this, this is wrong. And I need to go ahead and, and talk about this. I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? And so there is a public um, offense, and there was a public apology. Uh, again, I saw an example of this in a church where there was a public offense on Facebook. Um, there was a bashing of the church by a certain church member. Um, cutting up numerous people in the church, myself included, and 
he got up and gave a public apology, but it was not sincere. And it, we'll, we'll talk more about that particular example and where that led to. It was a, a doctrinal issue. So improve only, approve, involve only necessary people, and hopefully the matter just ends, because restoration is the ultimate goal. That is where we're headed with all of this. Warning, this idea of neuthetic counseling, this idea of neutheteo, warning someone, Paul says admonish them. Uh, warning can be done by any spirit-filled believer, and this hangs up a lot of folks. I hope no one in this church, but if you're struggling with the thought of, well, I, it's not my job to go tell someone where they're erring, that's not right. Now, it's not your job, or it's not appropriate to go talk to someone in a wrong spirit. But if you see someone in error, okay, and you are able to approach them, okay, and you pray about it, and you're like, okay, well, this is, you know, I'm the one that sees this, and it's a clear violation of biblical principle, I need to go talk to them, then you and I, as individuals, doesn't matter what job we have, if we're saved, we have the job of going to people and trying to help. Any, any spirit-filled believer can be a warner. Look at uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Romans chapter 15, 15, verse 14. And I understand this could be intimidating. And, and obviously, discretion is going to be used. Um, you know, if a younger person, let's say Ethan, sees something going on in, in Charlie's life, maybe Ethan would talk to his dad first. Dad, what do you, well, I hope he would. Dad, what do you think about this? Um, uh, maybe you and I could go together. Obviously, there's going to be discretion. But it's the idea of don't just turn a blind eye and say, well, I'm just, you know, I'm 15, or I'm only 12, or I'm only 20, or I don't do anything in the church except clean the bathrooms. Don't have that attitude, because Jesus lives inside of you and I. Romans 15, verse 14, and I myself also, Paul says, am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish, to warn one another. So Paul says, I'm convinced that you're able to do this. He didn't say only your pastor can do this or only the deacons or only a specific pulpit committee can do this. He wrote this to everybody. So it's my job, it's yours. Uh, what does James end with? James chapter 5, verse 19. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let doesn't say who, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. Right? and she'll hide a multitude of sins. Think of all the things that person could have done had you not stepped in. Think how far that sin could have escalated if you had not stepped in and warned them and turned them and you saved them from death. I don't think, believe that's talking about uh, burning in hell necessarily, though it could be if you're dealing with a lost person, but in the context, it's brethren to brethren. Uh, sin can lead to death, physical. It certainly leads to spiritual death, right? Burns up my rewards for Christ, destroys my testimony of people, and that's a deathly thing. And so um, James says, look, if any of you do err, and one convert him, I don't care who it is, some spirit-filled believer. <laughs> what did Moses say? Oh, that the Spirit of God were in all the people, that they all would prophesy, right? And Joshua came running into the camp, forbid them, forbid them, uh, my Lord, forbid them. And Moses is like, no, you've got the wrong idea. I want all the people to be walking with God. It's not about me. It's about the Lord being glorified and magnified. Now, what do you think may be some reasons why I or you or whoever may not warn when we see an obvious problem, when we see something going on and we're just like, yeah, I just don't think I want to do anything about that. What are some reasons? Well, what about the fact that I myself am carnal? So, 
you know, let's say I hear somebody having a, they have a bad mouth or they, they curse. Well, if I'm a foul mouth too, how can I possibly, and really in all honesty, go warn that person? Uh, and I think in our human nature, there's a little bit of this sin, let sin mentality. Well, I enjoy what I do. I'm comfortable with what I have. I don't want anyone to talk to me, so I'm not going to go talk to anyone else. I didn't ask you, I didn't tell you, I didn't point a finger at your life, so don't you point a finger at mine. Well, that's a selfish, carnal, arrogant attitude. Because ultimately, we're just concerned about hanging on to our own little pet sin instead of actually helping someone else. And so in order for me to be a help, let's just bring it where the rubber meets the road. In order for me to be a help to this church and to everyone individually in it, and that's true for every one of us here, I have to be walking with Christ because in the end, it isn't just about my relationship. It's about the relationship of everyone here because we never know when we may be called upon to rescue a soul, a brother in need, right? And so how much, it puts a little extra motivation into me doing the right thing when I, when I realize what is at stake, when I realize what is at stake. Um, so we're under a need to warn. We do it in humility and love. We involve only necessary people. It can be done by any spirit-filled believer and then lastly, and we'll probably close up with this one, no one is above warning. Look at 1 Timothy. When I use it, I picked a text that false teachers and false prophets and carnal men who call themselves men of God will use this, along with other passages, to uh, cop out of having to ever receive any rebuke. Uh, by the way, if you are ever involved in a ministry or hear a ministry or you're listening to preaching and somebody says something like, um, well, they, I can't talk to the pastor because uh, the Lord says, uh, um, do my prophets no harm. Well, you need to go run the other way at 100 miles an hour. Um, and if they use this verse out of context, run. There's something wrong with that person's teaching, that person's ministry, and you don't need it. First Timothy 5.1, speaking about elders, uh, pastors, Remember in those days there were satellite churches. There was not only a main church, but there was a church in, uh, in numerous homes. And so they had more than one pastor. They referred to them elders, uh, deacon, um, uh, elders, um, uh, uh, over shepherds, or under shepherds, bishops being the idea, overseers. And so we see this term interchangeable. Don't be scared by that term elder. It's really just in the end, honestly talking about a pastor. Okay, though the context was very different probably from what we have today. Rebuke not an elder. Well, there it is right there. I can't say anything to an elder. No, but entreat him as a father. The Greek word rebuke is the, the word epipaleso. And it has the idea to strike at something. Pastor Crawford, I saw you the other day. and it... That's striking at him, right? But entreat him. Now, there's the word parakaleo, which has the idea of calling alongside and bringing someone under your wing. Hey, brother, I was out the other day, and I, um, saw, I saw something that really bothered me, but I want to talk to you about it first. Okay, that is a right attitude. Now, how he responds to that may determine where we go with all of that, right? But that attitude of humility and calmness and the idea of respect, see, it's always to be done with respect, but to be done with courage as well. You don't be uh, intimidated by someone's position, because ultimately, who is the head over all things? Christ, right? And so don't strike at an elder. We could, we could say it that way. Strike not at an elder, 
but call him alongside as a father. So then you go over a few verses to verse 19, and Paul gives some warnings about what not to do and what to do if you have an elder or a pastor who is in sin or thought to be in sin. Against an elder, receive not an accusation. Don't receive an accusation. Well, there you go. I can't do anything. No. But before two or three witnesses. Why would he say that? Well, number one, it's always a good idea. But number two, a pastor is typically uh, in more of a glass house than most of us. And so it would be easier for him to contract enemies, those who would seek to defame his character or bring a slander against him falsely. And so Paul is warning us and saying, look, if you hear something or receive something, you better make sure it's from one or two or three witnesses. Make sure it's from reliable sources, okay? So don't receive it if it's just one person going off on a rampage, okay? But if there's a few, few people or two or three involved and they see something, well, then maybe it's necessary to rebuke. Them that sin rebuke before all. Them referring back to the elders. So here you have... Okay, so here, I mean, how many, how many times have we read about this or seen a pastor involved in immorality? You know, if you had a dime for every pastor you've heard about involved in immorality, you could be a millionaire. And it's, it's abominable, and it gives occasion to the heathen to blaspheme, like David's life did. Uh, it's wicked. And I was reading about uh, Jack Hiles and the mess of that the other night on the Internet, and uh, I didn't read long. It's too depressing, but himself and his son, same thing. Wickedness, 14 people, 17 different people. Uh, abominable. So when that happens, what should happen? Well, we just all leave fundamentalism, curse God, and go to the liberal side. No. You rebuke them before all. You see, if, if churches stood up and dealt with, uh, and I'm just going to use the man as the example, dealt with the Jack Hiles the way it should be, and say, sorry, you're not the pastor here anymore. We're banding together as spirit-filled believers. But that takes spirit-filled believers, so that's really where the breakdown occurs. Uh, you're out of here. Now, hopefully the pastor recognizes, hey, I was in sin, you're right, I'm not qualified, I need to step down, shame on me, I need to get back with the Lord. That's happened too, and that's a blessing, right? I've seen that. Praise God for when that takes place, a pastor recognizes, or just comes out and says, nobody has to catch him, just says, I did this, it was wrong, I can't be your pastor, uh, I got to go get right with God. Praise the Lord for that, right? Nobody's above sin, we understand that. But when it does happen, and they won't repent, and you need to bring it before, you need to get it right, then it's to be brought before the church. It's to be made public so that the person realizes you're not above God's authority, them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. We're going to close with this thought when it comes to being courageous, respectful and courageous when dealing with people of rank and authority. Deuteronomy 1.17. Deuteronomy 1.17. I love this, uh, this verse. That Moses gave the judges of Israel. And it's something, the principles of it, you and I can really grab a hold of and uh, make our own if we ever find ourselves in the need to deal with sin in the life of someone. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great, the person of little influence and the person of great influence. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man. And that is what shuts most churches down right there from dealing with with sin, especially in leadership. Uh, and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, Moses says, and I will hear it. Well, what do we have that's even better than that? That's right here, right? And the spirit that lives inside of us. And so, yes, there is a need to warn. Next week, we will look at more in detail 
at the need to withdraw and then more in detail at the attitude that we are supposed to have when dealing with these situations, whether we are the ones administering it or the ones receiving it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and truth. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to take these things. And uh, Lord, hopefully we never find ourselves in this church in that position, but should we, may we do the right thing and honor Christ and uh, leave the results unto thee. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.